Hey guys, Joe here. I hope you're having a great summer. Welcome to another Amped interview. My summer's actually pretty good uh, this year and um, been enjoying the weather and getting outside. Just came back from Texas where it was hot, muggy, and it rained most of the time. But I had one heck of a thunder and lightning storm while I was there, and that's worth everything. Today, I have the privilege of sharing with you an interview with Dr. Ramona Probasco. And uh, she's probably not a household name. I met with her to chat about a book that she released on June 19th of this year. So just a couple of weeks ago. The name of the book is Healing Well and Living Free from an Abusive Relationship. This is a really important topic and something that is deeply personal to me. There are people in my family who are survivors of domestic abuse. In fact, statistics show that one in four people are victims of domestic abuse. That would suggest that someone in your life is struggling with that right now. For this reason, we wanted to share this interview with Dr. Ramona. We hope that it's helpful to you, meaningful to you. And if you are someone who is struggling through a relationship in which abuse is a component, please reach out for help. There are resources there for you. I realize that this can be kind of a heavy topic, but I really do encourage you to listen, take heart, and take action. I really appreciate you all. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks with our next episode. Frequency.fm presents The Amped Interview. Today, we're talking with Dr. Ramona Probasco, a, a marriage and family therapist. We're actually just going to call her Dr. Ramona for the sake of me being able to pronounce her name. Um, but, um, so she's a marriage and family, uh, thank you. <laughs> she's a marriage and family therapist, a certified domestic violence counselor, and, um, she's the author of the forthcoming book, Healing Well and Living Free from an Abusive Relationship, From Victim to Survivor to Overcomer. The book is uh, releasing June 19, 2018, and um, in the half an hour that she and I have been chatting before we started to record, <laughs> um, she explained to me that's also Freedom Day, which is the day, if I hope I get this right, the day Abe Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Did I get that right? That's, that's correct. It's recognized by 47 states as Freedom Day. So the fact that Healing Well and Living Free is being released on that day. To me, only God could align that. So it's exciting. Well, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about. Um, people who listen to the podcast are aware that my wife's a therapist, and and some of these um, particular topics are extraordinarily important to me. And so I'm so grateful to have a chance to chat with you. Well, I'm thrilled to. It would be great, uh, at least from my perspective, just to learn a bit more about about you. I, I have not had the opportunity to read your book, so I, and I know there's a lot of personal information in there, but where did you grow up, and um, what was your faith background? Well, first of all, thank you, Joe, for inviting me to um, be on Frequency. I am very excited, and and this counted as a real privilege to spend this time with you, so thank you. Um, as far as where, you know, a little bit about my faith background, I was actually uh, raised with a Catholic background, mm. and I'm ever so grateful for that, um, because it really, first of all, taught me that, you know, there is a God, and, and really um, 
caused a curiosity to happen in me to try to understand who is God. My personal experience, I'm not saying that this is for every Catholic, but for my personal experience, I grew up feeling somewhat that he was far away mm. and, um, and that, you know, I had to, in a sense, go through the priest to get to God. And, and I know not all Catholics feel that way or believe that, but that's how I, I interpreted it. But when I was 17 years old, um, my friend of now 35 years, I refer to her as Chelsea in the book, she uh, talked to me about Jesus and um, really kind of planted that seed in me. And I accepted Christ through some very dear friends who are still dear friends today when I was 17 years old. And that was interesting. I talk about in the book how um, it was quite scary for my, my dad in particular at the time. Uh, who was raised from a very, um, he escaped from communist Yugoslavia when he mm. was a teenager and had a very strong Catholic background. And so when I started going to these Bible studies with the Bible tucked under my arm, it just, he it, he thought, honestly, he thought I joined a cult. He didn't know what yeah. was going on. And um, so there was several years where there was a lot of misunderstanding, but God was faithful, is faithful. And now today, my entire family knows Jesus. And my dad, I always joke around and say that my dad would uh, talk to a tree trunk about Jesus if <laughs> if he could. He just loves the Lord. And so um, my faith is a an integral part of who I am, what I believe, and in large part, why I am where I am today. And simply knowing, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. That has been really a cornerstone in my healing journey, that I, I held on to that truth for many years. And God is faithful, and He sees. You know, there's a name for God in Genesis um, it's pronounced El Rai, hopefully I'm pronouncing it correctly, but El Rai, and it means God sees us. And that's something that I told my children for many years when, you know, the abuse was going on in our home. And we would often, the three kids and I would huddle together and, and I would tell them, you know, somehow mama's going to figure this out. I'm going to get us out of this situation and that God sees. And and when I came across years later that that is actually a name for God, um, I just was blown away. Absolutely. And, but he does see. He sees what I was going through, and he sees what any of your listeners, um, you know, we know statistically one in four women, one in seven men experience severe, some form of severe domestic violence. That's not even the lesser forms, if you will. And so I'm sure many of your listeners are either going through this, have gone through this, or know someone who um, is being abused um, by their intimate partner. And, you know, I just tell people, just like God saw me and, and my children, he sees them, and he's going to use it for good. But there can be a lot of confusion, and there was for me for many years. I stayed in the relationship because I had confusion over um, God's perspective on abuse and my role in it. I... I felt like I, I uh, held some sort of, not responsibility, well, in a sense, responsibility to, quote, do something. And I really believed that I could love him into wellness. Yeah. And, you know, we're supposed to love our enemies, but for someone to want to be well, their will has to want it. 
and we can't love people into wellness. You know, just like Jesus said to the to the man at the pool of Bethsaida, you know, do you want to be well? You know, the man that said that he couldn't get into the healing waters for 38 years or whatever. And and I when I read that story, I thought to myself, I back in my old days of codependency and enabling and all that, I would have been like, oh, let me pick you up and carry you into the pool, but not Jesus. You know, he said, do you want to be well? And so that's a question that we all are faced with, whether that we are on the recipient end of abuse or the perpetrating end. Do we want to be well? So yeah, anyhow, I, that's probably a long answer. But <laughs> No, it's a wonderful answer. I, I think for the sake of context, um, I think it's, uh, I want people to be aware that your book is, is, is both a guide for people who are uh, survivors and how, uh, and overcoming, but also interwoven mm-hmm. with that is your personal story. Right. Yes, the book is a, a beautiful interplay between my story, but not just my story, the stories of several um, clients that I've worked with over the years. And, you know, it's a composite, so it's a mixture of of all of their stories, in a sense, to protect their anonymity. Yes. But um, so it's my story along with several other um, survivors of and, and, and now today overcomers of domestic violence. So um, I love that about the book. It's not just about me. So. I have a, a question for you. I have many questions yeah. for you, but as, as you were describing some of your, of your background, um, my, uh, as you and I spoke before we started recording, my wife for a period of time worked for a crisis line, um, for mm-hmm. people who have been, um, uh, uh, I'll say victims. I'm not a huge fan of the word victim because I like survivor better, but um, you, you move as your book is titled, you move from victim to survivor to overcomer. Um, That's correct. That it's not the first time that uh, you call that you leave some, it's like the third or the fourth time. Well, I guess my question is how many I'll call it calls, but how many times did you consider that you needed to leave before you were finally so determined that you were able to step away. Mm-hmm. That's a great question, and it's and it's and it's a it's information that a lot of people, including myself, at one point, do not understand. And that is, uh, victims of domestic abuse, the research indicates, leave on average six to eight times before leaving permanently. Yeah. So when we and we'll often we'll see, just like myself, you know, that people will return. And there's many reasons for that. And especially, uh, it can be even more complicated for people who come from a faith-based orientation. Like I said, with myself, I stayed in there many years because I didn't understand God's heart um, around this issue of abuse. And, and so that kind of, in a sense, kept me in there longer. But the number of times I actually thought about leaving, I, I honestly, Joe, I too many to count. Yeah. I mean, it was many, many times. Um, if, if I say every day it crossed my mind, that would not be an untruth. Correct. Um, yeah. Okay. But as far as leaving, you know, I would take the kids and sometimes just leave for a few hours. And sometimes I would, uh, you know, and I would take them to a friend's house. Um, we would stay there a night or two or a couple nights. Uh, several times I would take them. We lived in the South, and I would take them to another state. 
uh, where, you know, I would just take them to the beach and, and we'd find a motel down there and, um, you know, and, and just wait. I, I, I would, I would refer to it as I was waiting for him to cool off. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, so if I counted how many times I actually left, that's an interesting question. I hate to even put a number to it because I, I may not get it correct, but numerous times, n- numerous, numerous times in my head and physically leaving, I definitely, I exceeded six to eight times before yeah. I left for good, you I, know, so. I just think it's so important for both people who are currently suffering d- domestic abuse and for those who have family and loved ones who who are suffering to recognize that it's okay that it takes you more than, you know, five times, but just do it. And also, if you're supporting that person, recognize, don't get frustrated if they go back. That's unfortunately is the, the nature of how this works. Don't give up on, on those people that you can support. Um, right, exactly. And you know what I explained to um, people like clients that I work with or even friends that are going through this is that and I didn't understand this until it was explained to me is that you're leaving two people in, in one body. And I'll often refer to the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde example, mm. but I know that men can be victims and uh, of, of domestic violence as well. And it, it can be even more difficult for them to the same things that we face as women that, you know, people believing us, taking us serious because as the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde example portrays, you see one person in public and you see another person in private. And then for the person who's struggling with the decision of whether to stay or go, they're leaving, if we go with the Jekyll Hyde example, two men in one body. They're leaving the one that they fell in love with because abusers don't present like that. It wasn't until a little over three years into my marriage, and we dated three years and then three years into the marriage, that the first physical assault happened. Now, when I look back and now that I have the training and I know what the red flags are and all that, I can look at our dating years and see examples of entitlement, lack of empathy, objectifying me, you know, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. Um, but I minimize those as, as you know, on the, the people that have gone through this, that I, they share their story with me, they say the same thing. They say when they look back, you know, it's 2020, but when they were in it, the red flags, we called it pink or we, <laughs> we didn't call them red for sure. Yeah. It, we, didn't, it, we didn't know what to look for, you know? Well, and you know, in a rip from the headlines kind of perspective, as we are looking at those comments that were made by Paige Patterson, just for the sake of context for people listening, uh, if you're mm-hmm. not aware, you know, amongst other comments, the this former seminary president and denominational president of the Southern Baptist Convention was counseling women in abusive relationships that they should not uh, counseling ab- against considering divorce and instead instructing mm-hmm. them to pray for their husbands. Um, and if so, if you know, if your part, if your church is telling you is giving you a message that says stick with it, even if you're getting beaten. It's, it's it's even more difficult to walk away. Um, I I imagine as you as an individual who has overcome domestic abuse, when you hear these kind of comments coming through the news, that's got to be somewhat triggering. Go ahead. It's it. Well, yes. No, you're fine. Um, 
it's triggering and just it's it's just it's deplorable, but it does. It happens every day. And I mean, my particular research study when I was doing my um, doctoral research, I studied uh, domestic violence in faith based relationships. Mm. And in an effort to uh, teach clergy how to appropriately respond. And in my studies, I studied over 500 women anonymously um, from a megachurch. And, and that was an anonymous, a 50-question survey that I surveyed them with, um, relating, obviously, to this topic. And then I also uh, surveyed 30 churches across the United States, megachurches, meaning 5,000 members or more, yeah. across the U.S. to see what they were doing in response to domestic abuse within their congregation. And my findings, in a nutshell, were very interesting, uh, sobering, and and sad all at the same time, and that, that what is going on outside of the church, and we're seeing this in the media now, you know, with Cosby and the, the other people in a sense that are outside the faith community, that these stories are coming forward. But now also within the faith community, we're seeing, you know, things really coming into the light. But that's what my research um, indicated, that what's happening outside of the church is happening inside the church, with the exception that there is the, the uh, factor of spiritual abuse where scripture is being misused, misinterpreted, misapplied to further exacerbate power and control. And um, so those are the type of things I have to really meet clients where they're at and give them a safe place. Um, And, you know, I, I don't use scripture to try to convince anyone of anything. I just meet them where they're at and I do what Jesus did. He met them where they're at. He loved them where they're at. You know, he provided truth for them to to chew on and think about and make a decision for themselves. He didn't try to talk them into anything. So I never try to talk um, someone who is going through this or, you know, to lead, to stay or go. That's not my, that's not my right to tell someone to stay or go. What I do is I provide a safe place and I give them, I educate them because that's what helped me. I educated myself out of the relationship. Considering with the the Me Too movement and then um, and a similar movement within the church amongst women in the church, I, mm-hmm. I know Beth Moore has recently been speaking out on this topic as well. Um, mm-hmm. as, as we're looking forward and, and how to respond to this, from your perspective, what part does the church play in in having failed to protect women and currently failing to protect women? Um, and maybe how they failed to hold men accountable for their actions? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Well, I mean, we don't have to go far. Just, again, looking at the, the story that you referenced with Paige Patterson, also with Bill Hybels, you know, uh, we see that these these men in these positions of what I believe should be positions of influence for the good and for the kingdom yeah. can also be used to wield power and control. And so, you know, like we see with Paige Patterson, the initial um, minimizing of the, the 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 rape that took place, and and putting pressure on her not to report. Yeah. Uh, they didn't report. I mean, if it was, I thought about that, you know, and I was thinking, if say, for instance, with Paige Patterson, if someone had come in and robbed his office and just took everything out of it. And he showed up to work the next day and walked into an empty office. Would he not have reported that to authorities? Well, of course he would have. He would have done something about it to find out who did this, you know, and and get to the bond movement and justice be served. And so 
I mean, something where this woman's dignity, you know, her safety, um, what's meant to be beautiful and sacred, mm-hmm. you know, was was abused, traumatized, belittled, not respected. I, mean, I could go on and on and on. And and she was pressured to keep quiet about it and discouraged to come forward. You know, it's just it's deplorable, Joe. It's just, I mean, when I've read through these articles, I literally, I make mean, it choke me up right now. It just yeah. is, you know, it, and because we as the church, as the body of Christ, as believers, his hands and feet in this world, you know, we often can be the first place and, and are the first place for many uh, people who hold on to uh, a faith in God that people will turn to. But the times I've heard the, the, the counsel that these women get, you know, to stick it out and that forgiveness is like misused and causes, it can cause us further trauma to the victim because of the pressure to prematurely forgive and kind of sweep it under the carpet. So I feel like we have a huge responsibility to, to be a place where people can come that's a safety net and protection. And instead, that's that's often not the case. And like we see with with both Hybels and Patterson, you know, it was decades that this stuff went on. You know, and one day is too long, but decades. No, it's, it's, it's unconscionable. unconscionable. Yes, exactly. Uh, speaking on this topic with my wife, uh, she's a mandatory reporter um, for people who are mm-hmm. listening. Um, that's something to, to probably understand that there are um, people, whether they're therapists or clergy, uh, uh, people, uh, teach school teachers in specific vocations that when they become aware of certain kinds of abuse, that they're required to report that to the authorities. One of the, the holes, at least from my perspective, is that there's no, at least in Oregon, no mandatory reporting requirement when domestic abuse is understood from adult to adult. Yeah, I was just going to say it depends on from state to state for yeah. mandatory reporters, you know, but I know here in California, domestic violence is a mandatory report, you know, because often we'll hear stuff like, well, the um, children were in the other room, you know, they didn't see it. Well, that's ridiculous. You know, kids sense it. And I remember my son when he was, you know, um, a young teenager we had a conversation one day and he literally described the, what is referred to as the cycle of violence that Lenore mm. Walker coined that term yeah. in her own research, but the tension building, the explosion and the honeymoon stage um, in the cycle of abuse. He didn't use those words. He and I both didn't know those words at the time, um, but still kids know, you know? So yes, it's, it depends on the state laws, but I know in California, it's definitely a report and, um, but, but, you know, people can report, if they're not mandated reporters, they can still report anonymously, and I encourage them to do so. And that's, uh, that's what yeah. I was hoping to communicate, because this is just my interpretation that we, we as individuals don't like to deal with messy situations, and if we can find a reason not to get involved, we will. And it really takes courage if you are aware that somebody is, is suffering uh, under abuse to to take action and if if you're a, a clergy member or somebody who's hearing this that please uh please take action um in those situations well it is you know for i mean for 
many, many years in our own country, you know, um, it wasn't even on the law books. And uh, it's honestly more, if, if we look at our own lifetime, a recent phenomenon, we, and with the Nicole Brown Simpson, you know, um, OJ case, where Denise Brown, you know, really was, <laughs> I mean, she was the person who really uh, turned things around with the Violence Against Women Act in 1994. And we saw the effect on domestic abuse dropped by 64% after the Violence Against Women Act uh, was instated. And um, so the more that we have conversations like this, whether it's before Congress, it's on podcasts, it's in, you know, uh, across uh, kitchen tables, the important thing is that we're talking about it and we're calling it what it is. That's one of the initial chapters in my book is call it what it is, abuse. And in my what I tell people is, um, that until we call it what it is, we're going to call it what it's not. And and that's a big problem, again, not to pick on the church community because there are a lot of churches, and in my research, you know, there were churches that I did speak with that were doing something. It's just often it's not enough, you know, so there are some some great, wonderful pastors, my own pastor in particular, that he was counseling us. Now, I don't advocate couples counseling when there is abuse, and, and a therapist no. needs to know how to properly screen. I know your wife knows all about this, yeah. but properly screen to determine what's going on, because people will call it until they have the right terminology. You know, com- we have problems with conflict. We need to learn better communication, and and but abuse is not a couple's issue. But, you know, if that's all you know, or that's all you're trained in, then you're going to approach it as such. But it's very dangerous for the victim. I wonder mm-hmm. how how do we move forward within, uh, we'll call it American Christianity, but within the Christian faith, supporting survivors, helping families to heal, helping perpetrators to heal, and then to change the culture so that this behavior is no longer tolerated. Well, you know, like I just said a second ago, I think it's in, in like conversations like this where people were starting to talk more, a lot more, and people are, are coming forward because they're being believed. And I think that the greatest gift we can come, we can offer rather to someone who discloses this to us is that we believe them. You know, we believe them because that it takes such courage. It took me years. That's what I was going to tell you earlier about my pastor when I disclosed. And I didn't even, in a sense, disclose to my pastor. I came to him on one occasion where I met with him individually because he would meet with my former spouse and I together most often. And on one particular occasion, I came by myself and I was wearing sunglasses, but I was wearing them indoors. And he asked me, he said, you know, why are you wearing sunglasses? And I said, well, I've got a really bad headache. And he, uh, he just knew instinctively in his gut. And he said, do you mind removing your sunglasses? And so what was I going to do? You know, so I took them off and he could see that I had my black eye covered with, with makeup. And, and he told me, he said, um, he wanted to call the police to his, you know, just, I was just so grateful how he did respond that I didn't take advantage of it at the time. But he said, you know, I want to call the authorities now. And I just pleaded with him. And I said, please don't. I, I just let me try. Let me. I still had all these false notions that I could stop what was going on in our home. And 
And I said, please don't call, I promise. And he says, if I ever see this again, I'm going to call. Well, needless to say, that was the last time I met with him. Uh, you know, so yeah. to his credit, he did the right thing in that he said that he wanted to call the police. But in my case, my former spouse had threatened that if anyone ever called the police or the police came, that um, someone would be dead. And I can I can mm. say these things. I had a restraining order. That I was issued a court order restraining order. and So everything became public information. So um, what I'm sharing, you know, it's, it's public record. But um, but even if it isn't, I, I, at this point in my life, I would still share it. But, um, yeah, that's what he told me. So I was always afraid to call the police because I knew that he would make good on his word, or at least I took the threat seriously. I just uh, I want to affirm you for sharing your story because, I mean, it's breaking my heart to hear it. But um, we, we, we don't change anything by avoiding it. And, you know, um, right. trying not to hear things that are difficult doesn't make those things go away it just allows those to continue so the lack of action is is almost as bad as the action itself because it allows it to continue um, and this you you sharing your story and 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 the guidance that you provide is such an important step and i, I uh, i'm trying not to cry because i really i really appreciate um what you what you've lived through your willingness to share that and 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 what you are working so hard to do um, to move people out of abuse and into living, truly living again. Um, and your willingness to talk about how our culture uh, has allowed this to continue. Um, I got I to gotta take a breath. <laughs> yeah. um, well, you know, again, kudos to you, Joe, you know, and. And your wife, she's in the trenches with people who are going through this. And the two of you clearly are partnering together, you know, in different aspects, but with the same passion, you know, and and getting the word out and providing. Up. I, I really believe that education is such a key component to all of this. And like I said earlier, a big part of my being able to eventually leave, let go and not go back was it started first with um the term cycle of abuse where my friend, my best friend uh, years ago, somehow I asked her the other day, I said, how, cause we had a big party at my house celebrating the release of, of the, um, of the book. And, and I asked her that day, I was like, I've never asked you in all these years, we've been friends 35 years. I said, how did you come across that? I mean, she's not a, a counseling major or nothing. She's like, I don't know. I just like, Somehow I just kept on Googling stuff and this term cycle of abuse came up. It's also referred to as cycle of violence. Yeah. And she said, when I read it, it sounded just like you. Yeah. And, and so that was like the first little, not little, but significant kernel of truth that God used to continue to build on. And so that's why, you know, when you, when, when, if you are the person that someone discloses just even a smidgen of their story, don't take it personally if they don't, you know, up and leave. It's a big decision yeah. to, 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 to decide to leave. Plus, Joe, it's, and, and a lot of people don't know this, is that leaving is the most dangerous time. Oh. There's a 75% greater risk of fatality. Yeah. During the time a victim leaves or shortly thereafter, we look at like Nicole Brown Simpson years later, you know, so it's, it's very dangerous. 
And so I really educate people, and I have a, a website, drramona.com, um, where I've dedicated a whole section on preparing to leave, leaving, and then after you've left. Um, and then I also encourage the, um, the person to take a danger assessment. It's a quick 20-question um, survey where they can somewhat gauge the, the level of potential lethality when they leave. And what I tell people, you know, I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm saying this to inform you so that you, when you leave, you're leaving uh, with wisdom and good information and you're connected with good resources yeah. because people don't leave these relationships generally just all by themselves. There's someone or some organization or some book or something that they've connected with that's giving them the impetus and the courage to, to, to go and go for good. But if they, they return, like you said earlier, we don't want to chastise them because they're already struggling with shame. They're already oh, blaming man. themselves, even though they're not responsible for what's happening. They're already, they're blaming themselves for, for what's going on in their lives. And many women will question, you know, how could this happen to me? I'm, I'm, I'm educated. I'm, I, 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 you know, I work outside the home. I mean, it happens to all, there's no prototype. It happens to all sorts of people, regardless of educational background, socioeconomic, religious background, color of your skin. You know, it, it happens to one in three globally, yes. you know, one in four in the United States and one in three globally experience this type of abuse from their intimate partner. So it's, it's epidemic. Thank you so much um, for sharing this. I, I don't know how to respond any other way. I know I've thanked you a lot, um, but I, I really hope that people who are listening to this, um, this resonates with them. If it's one in four, that means that there are people that you know, people who are close to you that have experienced this or are currently experiencing this. And that awareness is a wonderful step. Um, I want to turn us back to the book just to remind people, that's one of the main reasons we're talking today. The book is Healing Well and Living Free from an Abusive Relationship, From Victim to Survivor to Overcomer uh, by Dr. Ramona, um, who we're speaking with, obviously. And that is released um, on June 19th, 2018. At the time that we're recording this, it's actually June 11th. So, But by the time we post this, it'll be very close to that day. Regardless of when you hear it, uh, I want to encourage you to seek out that book. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. Um, and I, I know this is a heavy topic. Um, so as uh, we're wrapping up our time, I'm just going to throw out a couple of random questions that have nothing to do with this topic for the sake <laughs> of allowing people to <laughs> to uh, to know you a little bit more about you as well. Um, sure. So do you have Netflix? I do have Netflix. Yes. Oh, OK, what's the what's the latest show that you have watched on Netflix? And you and you and you. Oh, that is hysterical question i'm sorry go ahead finish no your that's okay no just uh i'm I, I mean, gonna you can't lie you have to tell us because we, we oh no that's so funny I, well i'm a documentary junkie okay i love documentaries but my husband um he loves like the whodunits and he's just such a sweetie and i wish we had time to talk about him because god part of the you know the the gifts of healing well is it puts us in a different place. And since I really believe we attract where we're at, we, we attract a different type of partner if we choose to get back into an intimate relationship. I wish I had time to talk about him. But anyhow, he loves this program called Death in Paradise. It's uh, from through the BBC. I know the show. And I'm not. 
Do you? Well, I, you know, just, I'm not kind of into those, I should say, you know, the whodunit, but I am addicted now to Death in Paradise, and I'm the one that will say, let's watch a whodunit, you know, so it would either be a documentary, a whodunit, or some sort of romantic, silly comedy, you know, that uh, I love to just lose myself in, so... Have you, uh, have you, or Tim, or, or can I say his name? Um, oh, absolutely. Um, I, I call him. He's also AKA Sweetie, but Tim will work too. Um, have you watched Foil's War? No, I haven't. Okay, tell him. Write, write it down. Tell him to watch Foil's War. I will. It's, I will. It's it's amazing. Uh, my father uh, passed away last year, but he stayed with us for the last two months, and I made him watch it. Well, thank oh. you for sharing that, and uh, that just a little chuckle at the end. I appreciate that, and. Yeah. And I definitely appreciate you and and uh, what you are doing through this book. And um, I'm excited um, to read it. And I'm excited um, to understand more about your journey as you're promoting the book. So, um, well, um, give Tim my best. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. And uh, I think we'll chat again. I would love it. I would love it. And tell your wife hello for me, would you please? I will do so. She's texting me now to say how to go because she helped me with questions. <laughs> <laughs> that's great she did a great job she's she's the best i enjoyed yeah. it joe well thank yeah, you well I god bless it. thanks thank you joe god bless you too joe Bye-bye. frequency.fm is a podcast featuring christian artists authors creatives and experts for more music reviews book reviews and articles please visit us at frequency.fm <laughs>